So, I hope you're able to hear me. Uh, I, it, thank you for inviting us. It's a privilege to be here and uh, to meet with people who are anxious to learn, to learn about God's Word. Uh, it, God's Word is so amazing. And uh, I've been a student of God's Word for a long, long time. Oh, but you probably don't know that I am the elder elder. None, that means no one in the elder board is older than me. So I'm the elder elder. Uh, so it's a privilege that uh, God has given me to still be able to serve him uh, and uh, take care of the help that God has given you. Be a good stewards of it, and you'll be able to serve him for many, many years. And uh, it's a joy to do it. Uh, I've, I've taught most of my life. Not, yeah, most of my life. When I got out of college, I couldn't find a job. And the Philadelphia School District was advertising on the radio there are 800 vacant positions. Anyone who has six credits in education and 18 credits in any subject taught in the schools, please come and apply. We'll give you a provisional certificate. So I went and applied, and I started teaching in the Philadelphia schools. Uh, it was a great experience. And then, uh, we were at a missions conference in a tiny church where we were serving. I was the Sunday school superintendent, and uh, at age 25, I was an elder. Uh, a missionary said to Janice and me, you know, you have all the training you would need to serve on the mission field. Have you ever thought of doing it? And we said, yes. And she said, then why aren't you there? And I thought, pushy old lady. <laughs> okay. I, I think I've gotten a little better than that now over the years. Uh, but uh, she challenged us to pray that God would give us a sense of direction and we started praying earnestly every day. And we asked other people to pray. She had told us, she said, it's God that sends out missionaries. And he does it in answer to prayer. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Now, we're talking about Bangladesh. Uh, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers to Bangladesh. And some of them might be right from us. Could happen. And uh, Janice and I eventually went to the Philippines. We spent 30 years there. And we loved it. So don't think of it as a sacrifice. As long as you're doing something you enjoy that God has called you to, you'll never do a day's work. 
it won't be work. It will be a joy. Well, let's get on to 1 Timothy 5. Uh, I'm not very good at following notes. I make outlines and I don't follow them. I'm the kind of person who makes lists and I lose them. Some of you identify with me. So let's turn to the back side of the page. <laughs> and the very last thing here is from Mark. I'm supposed to be teaching from 1 Timothy, but Mark chapter 7, verses 9 to 13. Uh, who would like to read it for us? Come on. All right, go ahead. All right. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. For you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. How many people are familiar with this passage? Several are. All right, let's think about this now. The word honor is in here. Honor your father and mother. Okay, what's this idea of korban? It gives you a definition here. It means it is devoted to God. So the Pharisees and the scribes had a way of saying, everything I own is devoted to God. So I can't use the money, all of my resources, I can't use it for anything else. Now, what did it mean in the Old Testament when it said, honor your father and mother? Take care of them, right? And if they needed your support, you would support them. Uh, the word honor, uh, you know, we not, we're not an honor society. Some societies are really strong on honor. You've heard about honor killings? Somebody in the family does something and Another member of the family kills them because it's disgraced the whole family. It's taken away the value of the whole family. It's a big thing. We're not an honor society. So it's hard for us to understand this. But I think uh, Jewish society was an honor society. Uh, honor here means value. So, uh, you're, by honoring your parents, you're supporting them financially if they need it. And of course, in some cases, people didn't need it. All right, now we can go back to the front page. If we've got this idea of what honor is and what honor involves. Uh, Oh, one more thing, because we're going to be talking about widows. What does the Bible say about widows? 
come on, you're not going to be like that person in my Sunday school class who got up and walked out. She's, she said, you're, not, you're here to teach us, not that for us to answer your questions. How <laughs> <laughs> would they take care of them? Huh? Like, how would they take care of them? OK, for widows to take care of them. Do you know anything in the history of the church about widows? What about the book of Acts? Acts chapter 6. What is it? Anybody have a Bible? What do you have? Yeah, uh, our group is reading Acts 6, so a few of us should know this. What, what's it about? Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 the gospel is the gospel is spreading throughout Jerusalem, and it's reaching uh, not just Right, the Greeks? Uh, and they are, because they're slightly different in their culture, they're being missed out on the daily distribution of the bread or whatever it is. All right, the daily distribution of the bread, and there was a community of Jewish and a community of Gentile. And what were they who were receiving this? So, I mean, a lot of, a lot of them may not have but a large part. The whole population would be neglected. Right. The widows would be neglected as well. Right. And they couldn't take care of themselves. So the widows were, so the church at that point was caring for widows in a big way. And the Old Testament tells that it should be done. Well, anyway, we're getting to this. Let's start off with the first part here. Do not rebuke an old man, an older man, but exhort him as a father, young men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. So the church is like a family. And the church is like a family. This word for don't rebuke an older man, the word really means beat up on it. Don't beat up on him verbally. Uh, why, did, why did Timothy need that? Maybe he was a little bit overzealous. And so he's told instead to exhort him. Uh, an interesting word for exhort here is uh, the word parakaleo, which is the word used for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. So the word parakaleo can mean exhort, it can mean to comfort, it can mean to encourage. And so the way we talk with each other, other versions would put in, you know, the way to speak to the other people, but the same word covers all of these groups. Be an exhorter, be an encourager, be a comforter, do all of those things. Almost like be the Holy Spirit to the people around you. If they need exhorting, exhort them. If they need admonishing, admonish. If they need comfort, comfort. A lot's in this passage. Uh, so treat older men like a father. 
Treat younger men like your brothers. Older women like your mother. And uh, Timothy was a young man. And he was told to treat young women like his sisters with all purity. Okay. Then the next part, uh, honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now, she who is a really a widow and left alone, trusts in God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So there's some principles here in working with widows. Uh, <clears throat> I, the way I picture this is there were evidently a lot of widows in Ephesus and people coming to the church. And uh, when they were distributing food and giving the, what was needed, there were a lot of people there. Uh, you know, if you want to have a successful meeting, serve food. <laughs> and uh, so people were taking advantage of this. Uh, but should the church be feeding all the widows? And what Paul is bringing out here is the idea of how to provide for them within the family. In other words, if there's a, a child or a grandchild of that widow, they're the ones that are responsible to take care of this. And they should be doing their duty. And if they don't do it, they're worse than an unbeliever. Uh, but an interesting thing that we can draw here is where does the responsibility lie, first of all? Who's responsible to care for the widow? The church. Who? The church. What? The family. The family. Yeah. Yes. The first, first, first move is the family, because it says honor your father and mother, right? So what the passage says here is honor widows who are really widows. Now, what could that mean? A widow who is really a widow. The word for widow uh, gives the implication of a person who is destitute, a person who has lost all. So they're the ones who, a person who has lost her husband, but she's really destitute. 
no one else to rely on. And this is what it's saying. But if the person isn't destitute, there should be someone else there to help, and it's their responsibility. So the church shouldn't be taking the responsibility off the family. Now, there's an application we can make here that goes further. Uh, and that is, you know, we're looking at who this is written to, but we also want to know what can we take out of it for ourselves. Okay, when we see people in need, uh, what do we want to do right away? Our heart grabs us and they say, this person is so needy, I got to do something. Well, it's good. But sometimes we create a dependency. And I think this is what Paul is referring to, that we don't want to make them dependent on the church itself. Help the family, the people closest to them, to take their responsibilities. And of course, if we're doing work out in the neighborhood, we can have feeding and feeding and feeding, but what we should be doing is trying to help those people who are in the family to take their responsibilities, and that's within the church. But for those who can't, we need to take care of them. There's another group here. It, it talks about what the, these widows who are really widows are like. And it says, she's really, who's the one now, who is really a widow and left alone, trusts in God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. So the real widow is realizing how dependent she is on God. But there are some others <coughs> who don't see it that way. And others live in pleasure. She who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Uh, now, it goes on here in the next part, and it says, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. A, a woman who has been faithful in her marriage, this is what it refers to, and she should be over 60. And uh, some of the passages refer to putting her on a list. Now, what it means is, before bringing a widow in and honoring her by providing for her, she should fulfill these certain characteristics. And then the church would honor her and provide for her in that way. Usually these widows served the church as well. And uh, they had different ministries within the church. But there were others who were not like this. I think Pastor Tim, when he was here, talked about uh, the new Roman woman. Can you remember that, women? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But uh, the new Roman woman, it, it, right around the first century, developed. 
Whereas before, women were very dependent on their husbands, and they couldn't own anything. And then there were some laws passed within the Roman government where women could own and could uh, move forward. And the new Roman woman was, uh, well, she was very worldly. She uh, had her own resources. She used those resources for a very wayward uh, manner of life. And uh, what was happening in the Ephesian church is some of these young women who were widows were now trying to live a life like the new Roman woman. And uh, this is what Paul is speaking against here. Now, he says that these, these younger women should not be put on the list. This is verse 11 and following. Uh, For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. Now, this implies that the widows had received some task to perform within the church and had made a commitment to the church and they were receiving support through it. And what he's warning them against is younger women will desire to marry and they're going to drop their tasks or they're going to decide they need to go out and attract a man to marry and whatever it takes, they're going to do it. And he's speaking against this. He says, what he, he wants them to do is to marry and have children so that they won't be off uh, being busybodies, looking for the pleasures of the world, and so forth, and giving up their faith. Uh, Now, it's a very interesting thing here that in this passage, it, Paul says, I want these younger wi widows to marry. However, to the church in Corinth, he says something else. Does anybody know about it? 1 Corinthians 7. He actually says it would be better for them to stay single. 1 Corinthians 7, 8. He says, it is good for them to stay single. And the reason is, in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 26, he says, because of the present crisis. So, his command to young widows to marry is not a universal command, but it applies to the situation in Ephesus. And the reason for that is the situation in Ephesus was a different one. The worship in Ephesus was of the god Artemis. And uh, the, the people 
would uh, have great parties out in the street and they would worship the god Artemis and would engage in all kinds of immoral activities. And so the, the, the uh, context there in Ephesus was such that would lead young women astray. And so Paul is speaking against this. It's better for them not to, to mix in with all of that, but instead to marry and have children and stay faithful to Christ. So that's what his warning is here. Uh, then he goes on toward the end of this, and he says, <clears throat> some have already turned aside after Satan. And this implies that they have left Christ and are following the ways possibly of Artemis, the goddess of the Ephesians. And then it says, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be a burden, that it may relieve those who are really widows. So the implication here is that there's a limited resources within the church and they want to be able to take care of the real widows who really need it and let the younger widows get out, remarry, have children and go about their way. Uh, now, our situation today is not quite the same. How are things different today here in America? Most people divorce not because of death, but because like, you know, they just divorce. Okay. A lot of times those widows, probably their significant partner died. Significant partner died, yes. Uh, yeah. So today what you're saying is there are a lot of single women and because single of women. divorce. Yeah, and yeah. they just divorce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. That's one thing that's different. Uh, if there are widows, mm -hmm. what is the situation for them? What? We have government assistance programs. We have government assistance programs and things of that kind. Uh, does that give us a right to beg off? No. No. Right. We still need to be aware. Uh, for example, she may be on the government, uh, what do you call it? Come on, you social workers, you know the term. Welfare. <laughs> yeah, huh? welfare, maybe on welfare, but the check probably isn't enough to live on. It's tough. And so there needs to be more of a safety net to care for them. So I think the message to us is be aware of the need of widows, maybe women who have been abandoned by through a divorce or something of that kind. So there is something here for us. Uh, all right, let's go on to elders. Uh, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now, this is why I talked about honor before. What does honor imply here? 
Well, let's read the rest of the paragraph. Especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. And the laborer, laborer is worthy of his wages. <coughs> what does honor mean here? Take care. Take care. Respect. Specifically, more than take care. Respectful. What does it mean? Don't muzzle the ox who treads the grain. Don't stop something that's good. Huh? I said I was hoping you could tell. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Uh, you need a Bible dictionary with pictures. Okay. All right, they had threshing floors. And they would have a, a, a rack with uh, iron in it or something. And then they'd have a long bar that went around a post. And the ox would drag that bar over the grain, round and around over the grain. All right. Now, what's an ox going to do if there's grain under his feet? Eat it. He's going to eat it. Now, uh, the Hebrew people were thrifty, and they said, we can't have this ox eating the grain. So they would have put a muzzle on the ox. And God commanded they should not do that. Let the ox eat the grain while he's grinding it, walking around there. Now this is the picture of what Paul is applying to the elders who are teaching and working with the church. The laborer is worthy of his wages. What this is saying is, Pay your pastors well. <laughs> Pay your pastors well. They, and it's in terms of honoring them. See, this is where that word comes in for honor. It's value them, and it means return their value to them. Okay, then it says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except for two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning, rebuke them in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. Uh, there comes to be competition in churches and sometimes accusations are made. And uh, what is the church going to do? What is the lead, uh, the ruling elder, which was Timothy, what was he to do about this? Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? He said such-and-such, -such, or he did this and that. Because you get factions within anybody. And then people get jealous. 
and then accusations come. Well, do you just push them all aside? Say, no, no, everything's all right. Or is there a way of handling it? Now, the Mosaic Law said that an accusation should not be considered unless it was backed up with two or three witnesses. Now, you know, Paul speaks against the law many, many times, but here he's quoting the law. And there is a proper application of the law, and there's a wrong application of the law. We're not saved through the law. We're saved by grace. But there are principles from the law. And inter interestingly enough, you know, uh, Torah refers to the five books of Moses. Torah is called, we think of it as law, and it is law, but it's much more than law. The word Torah means instruction. And so the books of the law are the instructions given to God's people so that God's people can live well in the presence of Jehovah because he's going to come and live with them. And so the book of the law is the instructions so that the Hebrew people could live rightly in the presence of Jehovah. So here are instructions how to consider an accusation. And uh, on the basis of that, those who are sinning rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may also fear. So this will be an impediment to others who might be tempted to do the same thing. Uh, the presence of all, uh, some people have interpreted this to be you have to rebuke them before the whole church. Other interpreters say no, the all refers to before all of the elders. So there's two inter possible interpretations of all in this passage. I can't argue for one or the other, but there are two interpretations. All right. <clears throat> then, it, verse 21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the select angels that you observe these things without prejudice. Do nothing with partiality. There's always the possibility of taking sides and showing partiality. It's a very difficult thing to be impartial. Uh, I've had the experience where a friend of mine has been accused and I have listened to his side of the story. And I've had other friends of mine come and say, you're betraying us. Why are you befriending and supporting him? Did you ever have that happen? 
it's a difficult thing to listen and be in the in the middle but it's the only position you can take in order to be a peacemaker and this whole passage is talking about how to have a church that gets along with each other. How do you do this? Stay away from partiality. Don't take sides in an issue. Listen to all, but make sure there is evidence, evidence support to support any kind of an accusation. And this is what Paul is talking about here. In verse 23, some people's favorite here, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake. This is medicinal advice. <laughs> Have you traveled outside of the country? Huh? Have you drunk any kind of water when you're outside of the country? And what does it do to your stomach? Well, okay. So when you do that mission strip, take a little <laughs> take a little wine for your stomach. No, don't do that. Buy buy bottled water. <laughs> but the remedy then was to mix water with wine. And the alcohol content did its job. It was the hope. Uh, uh, we could get into that. Okay, verse 24. Some men's sins are clearly evident. Uh, wait a minute, I missed something here. Uh, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment but those of some follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Now, Paul was advising Timothy, don't lay hands on anyone suddenly quickly. In other words, he's saying, don't be quick to appoint people to a position of uh, in service. Don't be quick to do that. But weigh them first. Observe them first. And uh, this comes into the picture of where uh, the people come up for accusations because of sin in their lives who are serving. Uh, and Paul is saying, it, these things aren't going to come out right away. But some things are come out quickly and are obvious, and others it takes a long time for this to happen. So you need to be on your guard. You need to be assessing what things are happening and uh, realize that Sometimes those uh, things that need judgment and condemnation don't show up for a long time. Uh, likewise, good works of some are clearly evident. And there's 
others whose good works take a long time to show up. And I'm sure that there are people like that within our group here who quietly do their good works and it doesn't show up in a big way. So be ready to look for them because eventually they will come out. Uh, the, uh, the whole thrust of this passage though is to give honor to whom honor is due, to value the other members of the church, whether they be older men, don't beat up on them, but it also means don't beat up on anybody else. If it's treat them like your father, be encouraging, but be admonishing, be, uh, come alongside them as the Holy Spirit would. And young women, treat them as your sisters with all purity. For older women, treat them as your mothers. The church is a family. And what Paul is saying here is, these are the ways to get along. So I don't think it's just an issue of widows and elders in this passage, but I think it's a picture for the whole church of how to work smoothly together as a whole family.